You're listening to The Savings Tip Jar, hosted by Dom Beattie and Harrison Asprey. Powered by InfoChoice, your choice of financial news, guides and product comparison. G'day, how you doing? Yes, you are listening to another episode of The Savings Tip Jar podcast, as always with myself, Dom Beattie, and as always, joined by Harrison Asprey. G'day, Dom. How you doing? No little tidbit little mini descriptor for me I, I thought about week. it for a second that's why there was a brief pause and I was like oh no you keep getting offended <laughs> by but yeah no thanks good names. to be here once again uh, another week um, and I should mention too it's episode 40 so uh, coming up know, on the half century I know coming up on the half century um, you know no David Warner here we're mm. going to make it all the way to the end so um, yeah, we have another great episode coming up and a bit, a bit of a left of field one I should say um you know, outside of the usual realm of what you would consider personal finance, because we're going to be talking about the uh, cost of divorce mm-hmm. um, and the unexpected costs of, of divorce and rather separation as well um, with Diane Loveday. So she's uh, the founder of Bayside Mediation. So rather than go to a lawyer to settle your mm. you know, separation woes, you can go to a mediator. Yeah. Um, save yourself a lot of money, potentially. Yeah, yeah save a lot of money as... Uh, she'll explain later in the episode. But yeah, yeah um, and I should mention too, I think we... Last week, we introduced a 10-minute timer for news. We're going to go one further this week yeah. and introduce a five-minute timer. Um, keep it snappy. So we've got to keep it snappy. You can sense the desperation in our voice to get it done. So <laughs> first news cab off the rank. Um, is an RBA rate rise all but certain? So we've had a few economic indicators out recently. So uh, inflation uh, came out last week and it was 5.4% over the year, um, mm-hmm. which was ahead of expectations. And, um, you know, a lot of the headline figures can be explained away by, you know, volatile mm-hmm. items such as petrol prices and energy and so on and so forth. Um, but the underlying figure was actually a lot stronger than um, the RBA's forecast mm-hmm. of 0.9% for the quarter. So that's in the three months to September. So the RBA forecast 09 uh, the underlying figure actually came out at 1.2. And uh, previously, you know, um, Michelle Bullock, the RBA governor, was talking tough on inflation, saying, you know, uh, they're trying to stamp it out. It's a scourge, so on and so forth. Um, and But then in less than 48 hours after that, uh, those statements, she declined to mention whether or not that, uh, you know, that 0.3% difference was material enough to warrant mm. a change in the interest rate uh, next week on Melbourne Cup Day. Yep. Um, and as well as that, Dom, um, there's also retail trade, which came out pretty strong um, and you know, this sort of mixed messaging from the RBA, um, the, the kind of uh, really strong messaging and then the slight retreat from that is causing funny stuff in the market. So um, we're seeing a, a, not huge fluctuations, but a fluctuation in mm-hmm. the strength of the Aussie dollar. And then off the back of that as well, the share share markets as well. So a bit of funny stuff in the markets happening at the moment, Dom. And what do you reckon will happen next week? Yeah, oh, you know, it's, it's looking, particularly after she came out with such strong um, rhetoric around how, you know, the, the RBA has no appetite for um, lingering inflation. Mm, it's low it's, tolerance, it's, she it's said. not willing, yeah, low tolerance. Um, you know that they they won't hesitate to hike rates again if it's looking like it's taking too long to come down. Yeah, inflation is still too high. Um, you know, if we get that quarterly number one point two percent, you know, four times a year, mm. that's annual rate of you know over nearly five yeah. percent still, which is which is far too high. So uh, they've got to do something. Looks like a hike is on the way. I had said um, you know recently that uh, I thought no, I think they're pretty much it's all but certain that they're done. The mm. next move will be a cut. But uh, I just think that the RBA can't ignore these figures. I'm not sure. Let's just have a quick look at what the ASX RBA rate tracker is showing right now. Um, it looks like, well, that's actually showing about 50-50. So it's saying 52% mm. chance of an increase, 48% chance of no change. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll find out. 
the Dove. Melbourne mm. Cup Day, that is uh, quite common time to change rates. So, yeah, we shall see. Um, just looking at some different news now. Um, we've seen a new uh, home loan provider is, is, is coming onto the market, and it's NRMA. So you might know NRMA for their insurance and their roadside assistance. Mm-hmm. They actually do already offer car loans, but they are now going to be offering home loans. I believe they actually already have a product now that is offering a uh, variable interest rate for owner-occupiers of 5.83%, 5.98% comparison rate. Um, and this product will be delivered in partnership with TikTok, which is an online lender that's backed by Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Now, Bendigo and Adelaide bank seem to have a lot of these kind of you know brands that uh you know somewhat the white labeling um mm. i guess is what what you call it um so backed by bendigo and adelaide bank but on the surface uh it's a different brand mm. um so you know you've got bendigo and adelaide bank obviously itself well it's bendigo bank and then there's adelaide, bank. adelaide bank yeah uh, then you've got uh you know tiktok uh Qantas money upbank and now NRMA. There's probably mm. another one out there too, but uh, they seem to be offering a lot of these loans by stealth through a lot of other different brands. So yeah, what yeah. do you think about Bendigo Bank's new products I mean, through it's NRMA? Always good to, it's always good to see another lender in the market, I guess, and this time from an insurance giant. And um, if you're an existing uh, NRMA insurance customer, uh, there's said to be a special offer on offer as well, um, which is interesting because just having a look at, a base look at these rates, you know, um, all the products from the Bendigo Bank white labels are kind of similar with, you know, most are 90% LVR um, for owner occupiers uh, and so on. And But the rate on NRMA's product isn't that competitive with others. But yeah, um, always good to see another lender mm-hmm. come to the market and kind of shake things up and uh, compete with the with the major banks there. Uh, you know, speaking of major banks and a nice little segue, uh, announced today at the time of recording, uh, ComBank is set to offer interest-free finance on solar power systems. So this one's by our journalist, uh, Harry, at Info Choice. So install pay is what it's called, is a new ComBank, is a new ComBank product offering interest-free finance plans for renewable energy products at participating merchants. Uh, it allows existing Combank customers to borrow up to thirty grand, which which can only be used for a single purchase. So, uh, Dom, it's kind of really coming a long way in the uh, green finance space with a with mm. well, well, Australia's largest bank offering mm. an interest free product, which is interesting. Yeah, well, I think we've heard a few other people offering similar types of um, you know interest free finance or, or very low discounted finance for installing you know anything perceived as green. So whether a solar system or I don't know, double glazing windows mm. or heat pumps or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess if you're someone who's who's like paying thousands of dollars a quarter uh, in um, energy bills, you might think, hey, well, this money could instead be going towards paying down um, an interest-free loan um, on uh, my yeah on, on on having solar panels, uh, and then when it's when it's paid off, you kind of just got you know almost virtually free electricity. But yeah, it's certainly worth considering. It's good to see uh, more of these um, products on the market for people that are considering solar. I have had um, you know salesmen come to my door a couple of times, wondering why I don't have solar panels on my roof yet. Um, pointing out, you know, my, both my neighbours on either side have them. Why don't I yet? Ah, the old shame Asking trick. me, you know, how much am I currently paying in electricity bills and saying, hey, you could be, instead of paying that to the energy company, you could be paying off 
solar panels for your roof and uh, and saving a bucket load. So, Mm. you know, it's something I've been weighing up myself, um, obviously with electricity prices looking like they're continuing to go up and up and up. Yeah, I've thought, okay, well, maybe if we just got a solar system. But, you know, obviously they are quite expensive up front, 30, 40, 50,000 sometimes. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's it's always worth, you know, at the end of the day, it is still debt you're taking on regardless of whether it's interest-free or not. Mm. So you got to weigh that up. Uh, now, unfortunately, my timer has malfunctioned, so oh, we don't actually know. We've probably gone over time, but, uh, you know, just for the sake of it, I'll just play the uh, the alarm anyway. There we go. Have oh, is that the time? Wow. Well. <laughs> All right. Now, earlier this month, and you might have heard about this, uh, there's been a new bill proposed in Parliament uh, called the Closing Loopholes Loopholes Bill. Sorry, Loopholes. Uh, <laughs> loopholes, uh, which is uh, said to make Uber 85% more expensive. Uh, so this, essentially, the, the crux of this bill is uh, it's, it's due to give uh, gig economy workers the same rights as employees. But uh, yeah, Uber is arcing up and saying it could increase prices by up to 85%, and that's on Uber Eats and Uber, just, you know, Uber driving or Uber riding, whatever it is. Uh, so it's a fair work amendment. Now, someone that's written an article about this is Harry O'Sullivan, who's written this for savings.com.au, and I'm pleased to say Harry O'Sullivan joins us now on the Savings Tip Jar. G'day, Harry O'Sullivan. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you, mate. Um, so, essentially, what what's the crux of this bill? Um, are my burritos going to go up in price? Yeah, so at the moment, it, it's just super broad. It's going to give the Fair Work Commission the uh, the ability to set standards like like payment terms, deductions, superannuation, reimbursing expenses, penalty rates, and all that sort of stuff. And I like I think that the the devil's in the detail with like some of those things are really really you know, kind of a no-brainer and the people do just deserve it. Other ones are a bit more, like penalty rates, for example, that it would, it's gonna make Uber Eats delivery fees on public holidays like 150% more expensive, which potentially is gonna flow through to less people getting it, which might end up just being less work for, for the workers. So I feel like there's a lot of nuance in mm. the specific details, but the general, the general, I guess, the, the gist of the bill is to, yeah, like give, a minimum set of standards mm. for, for gig economy workers like mm. Uber, Uber drivers. You know, I think on the whole, a lot of Australians obviously want uh, gig economy workers to get more rides, to, to be more fairly paid. You know, you hear about, you know, these gig economy workers, you know, riding on these little bicycles in and out of traffic for two to three hours, only earning, you know, 20 bucks or so at the end of it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's another story when it comes to are Aussies willing to, to fork out for this. You know, you've got Uber coming out and saying, could mean an 85% increase in prices. Do you think Aussies just on the whole would be willing to, to pay uh, extra to, for these gig economy workers to, to have extra rights? I, uh, that's a good question. I guess it's it's just always gonna be that give and take because like Uber's getting 80% more expensive will probably mean a taxi's cheaper. So yeah, it's just gonna have to meet in that sweet spot where mm. it's still you know, a viable option for Aussies in the, in the free marketplace to be picking these things. But I don't know, it's still it's still just, we, like 10 years, the example that the, um, the Minister for Employment really used is that 10 years ago, if you got delivery from, from Domino's, you just accepted that the, the person who was delivering your food was an employee and had a certain set of rights. And if you're getting a taxi, 
he was part of the union, he had all these rights. And now that we've introduced these apps, those things have kind of been eroded away. And I think that people will be willing to pay a little bit more to know that those things are coming back for mm. some of these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about that. Like, like a lot of people, like the barrier to becoming an Uber Eats driver is so low that it, you know, it really appeals to people who are like new to the country, students, they don't want to, you know, have to have like English as their first language or, you know, be proficient in English to find a job at, you know, say JJ's or whatever. Um, and it's a really low barrier to entry. Um, and a lot of people treat it as like a side gig or um, as a kind of like first step into into your your Australian career, I guess. So, and you kind of know that it's not going to have those protections in place. So um, I am wary of, you know, government just killing an otherwise like convenient and innovative um, solution, you know, at the risk of, you know, people coming to me with uh, tiki torches. So, um, and I think that, it will cause a shift back to sort of older formats, like you said, the, like the Domino's driver and things like that. And, and already we're seeing, you know, um, Uber likes to, you know, blame the government for this, but they have to also consider that they take a 30% cut of all the prices. So like already on, on Uber Eats, for example, and, and when you jump in an Uber, um, the driver's getting, um, you know, 70% of your bill, like probably even less. Um, and you know the price of food and stuff is just going to go up, and I think a lot of Australians will just absorb that, but they won't do it happily. They'll just just begrudgingly do it, and I think it will kind of cause a shift back to those old formats where you ring up the Indian place, you ring up the Chinese place, and you get it delivered or or whatever, which which is good too because they're not you know getting bent over a barrel with that thirty percent you know um, cut that Uber takes. But then at the same time, I think it will create just another sort of playing field down the track where there is say another sort of uber eats like innovation that comes along and cre- and creates competition once again um but potentially at the expense of you know workers rights so i think it's just kind of kicking a can down the road at, at the expense of you know innovation now so um but yeah with that said you know no one likes paying more for their food and um already i'm, I'm seeing kind of shift back to taxis especially for my personal use just because um, Ubers are getting more and more expensive so yeah I'm not really sure what to make of this bill but yeah time will tell I guess. I think I would make a distinction just myself between Uber and Uber Eats because yeah. I think that the Uber Eats thing there's the additional safety thing that they've been really pushing which the more I've read into the more I'm like yeah this is a really big problem mm. because they're like if you're an Uber Eats driver you're, you're paid on deliveries right you don't get paid mm. by the hour so you just have this massive incentive to just get this done as quickly as possible mm. and mm. potentially you're taking a lot more especially if you're a cyclist mm. like if you're riding around on your bike and you're, you're like you have to get to the next job within a certain amount of time and um there's a, a study from macquarie university who were who were like yeah there's a really really disproportionate amount of mm-hmm. delivery drivers who are getting in getting in accidents and they said mm. just anecdotally what's what's been happening is they're getting a lot of people presenting with with serious injuries that they picked up on a job like a concussion or whatever that they've waited until the end of the shift to come to the emergency department with mm-hmm. so i think that like these are and yeah like you say like these are often people who are like new in australia and immigrants so i think it's it is really important that we pr- bring back some sort of protection for those people specifically whereas i don't think some of those things apply to an uber driver for example mm. Mm. 
And are there any doubts around the, the modeling that, that Uber is coming out with? Because obviously they're going to you know, probably try and exaggerate the, the costs to consumers. You know, them saying, you know, it could make Uber 85% more expensive. Um, you know, even say some prices could, could more than double. Meanwhile, the, uh, the Minister for Employment and uh, Workplace Relations, Tony Burke, says uh, the cost to consumers will be a small price to pay. So who do we believe here? Is, is it really <laughs> going to, you know, drive up prices for consumers and thereby, you know, probably drive up inflation? In, uh, in the economy. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess you would have to assume it's, it's somewhere between the two. But I think that it's that this is going to be a give and take from, like, this isn't Uber saying, get rid of this bill. Mm. It's them wanting to come back and be more come involved with, okay, well, this is how this yeah. is going to affect us. We need to mm-hmm. have a bit more input on, yeah. like, at the same time, providing these, these rights for their workers is also not just destroying the business model. Mm. But some of the some of the things that they said was, like uh, 1.5 billion in losses to, to restaurants, which that that's probably based on like, oh, okay, there'll be this much less orders on Uber Eats, so the restaurants mm. lose that business. But that doesn't mean that, like just because people aren't getting Uber Eats, they're still gonna be getting their food. I think that I think there's probably some some mischief going on with with mm. those numbers. Well, yeah, well, I mean, we, don't, we were talking earlier, just off air, that we, I think a lot of restaurants actually aren't huge fans of Uber Eats and it's actually costing them a lot of business um, with people ordering through Uber Eats rather than directly with the restaurant yeah. because they have to hand over quite a huge share of like of commission on the on the sale of the food to Uber Eats and sometimes they're trying to compensate for It's good for exposure, that, but, but yeah, yeah, like ideally, you know, if, if, you're, if you're conscious of, um, of you know supporting your local business and mm. things like that, maybe find and discover new places on Uber Eats, and then um, if you really want to support that business and not give Uber Eats a thirty percent cut, then um, consider going with them directly. I, I guess mm. um, if that works out any better. Well, as we talked about, I mean, when you're saying that often prices are cheaper going directly anyway, that there's a markup, a um, massive markup, yeah. yeah, to account for that thirty percent take. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there was when they had the the five dollar pizza range at Domino's. I can remember paying like in excess of fifteen dollars for That's the same thing off Uber Eats. Which, yeah. yeah, like been robbed. There's anyway. so many weird charges on there now. There's like service fee, delivery fee, and then there's just the general markup kind that restaurants to charge pay as well. Tip as well. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah get, yeah, get tipping out of here. Never introduce that that crap here um but yeah um it, it remains to be seen and it, like if we boil it down to sort of realistic use cases of uber eats it's most likely you know joe he's had a big night like on the beers he's hung over he wants his gyg burrito is he gonna pay you know 16 dollars in store maybe 20 dollars on uber eats now versus like 22 or something you know, in the future, if this bill passes, I think he still will. Yeah. Um, it'll just be those fringe kind of cases that are already kind of, you know, um, willing to shop around that that'll be turned off further. It'll be those those rusted on, you know, sort of hungover users or those people who convenience who, who favour convenience above above everything else that'll still use it. Definitely. Yeah. It's already a a perk. Every time I've got Uber Eats, I'm like, well, if I'm being fiscally responsible, I should just drive there. Yeah. Like, that's just. It's just the better option, but it's pure laziness, and I think that that probably will still apply if it's <laughs> only a couple of extra dollars added mm. onto, yeah. onto that fee. I saw in your story you reported that um, you know the penalty rates uh, that you know these Uber uh, workers could receive um, could mean that, say, on a public holiday, uh, ordering Uber Eats would be 160 percent more expensive. So, <laughs> if, I mean, if the bill passes, which I, I think it's expected to. Uh, I, a lot of people probably will need to avoid uh, getting Uber Eats on a public holiday. Well, I, maybe it will end up being that 
the, the whole Uber model changes. Like at the moment, there's Uber One, which you can save on your your delivery fee. I think probably not the entire delivery fee, but you, you don't pay that service fee, and you know, it's like a monthly subscription. And maybe mm. that will be extended to you pay a a bigger ongoing subscription, but that covers your delivery fees. Yeah. Uh, okay. Maybe that will be, and that would probably mean that the workers are treated more like mm. employees. Everyone's become so accustomed to the subscription-based model anyway. Yeah, so yeah, many definitely. Things coming out of our, of our banks, bank accounts that we, we don't even, we forget about. We say, oh, what was yeah. that thing I signed up for? Oh yeah, $7 a month for this app, you know, that I rarely use. And the subscription fees are always so, like I have Uber One myself because it, I worked out and I was like, okay, well I just need to get Uber yeah. Eats like three times in a month for this to be worth it. Wow. Yeah. And I like, I think my, like, most subscription models are like that. You're like, geez, I just need to, I pay this much and I get unlimited and it's only- We well, look at the monthly figure and you, you don't look at the annual figure and you think monthly, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. That's exactly, like, you know, three yeah. coffees a month worth. Yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> but if, yeah. you, if, you, if, if you could pay like a, if I, could, if I paid like a $30 a month subscription to Uber, but then didn't pay for my Ubers, I'd be coming way out ahead. I don't know what that number would look like, but mm. yeah, maybe there's a, an alternative model that will, end up benefiting everyone better. Mm -hmm. mm. And like everyone has that inflection point, right? You know, um, we, we talked about it a bit around the office, you know, like what's your kind of inflation moment where you go, nah, that's just too much. Um, and they're, they're kind of kind of taking the mickey here. So, so at what point do you stop? I, I don't know where that is, but yeah. for you know, a lot of people, you know, $16 for a GYG burrito, is that it? You know, $21 for one, you know, 25 for one, like, mm. where, like where does it stop? Mm. So. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this bill gets up, and mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, we won't know the effects for the till the next like five years or you know, even yeah. ten years down the track, and yeah. see how that kind of bakes in inflation and adds to costs. But yeah, um, I think that's yeah, that's that was a good spotlight, Harry. Thanks for your time, and uh, where's your next Uber Eats order going to be? <laughs> I I really don't, I never know till I'm in the moment. <laughs> And then I, I don't when know. The mood strikes. Nando's will cross my mind. And I'm like, oh, I can't have anything. Else. Cheeky Nando's. All right. Nice. Good Thanks, Harry. Thanks for having me. All right. That's cool. Harry O'Sullivan, journalist for Savings.com.au, and you can read his article on Savings.com.au as well as many other uh, daily insights that uh, Harry produces across the InfoChoice group. So InfoChoice and, and your mortgage and your investment property. So definitely check those websites and read Harry's content. Always a good time. Thanks, Thank Harry. Thank you. Okay, fiscal focus time brought to you by InfoChoice, the choice of information on Australian consumer finance. Now, this week we're going to discuss something that a lot of people don't quite like to talk about and that's divorce. Joining us to discuss is Diane Loveday, the founder of Bayside Mediation, Australia's largest private family dispute resolution mediation practice. Hi, Diane. Thanks for joining us on the Savings Tip Jar. Uh, hi, Dom. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Diane, for joining us. So uh, straight off the bat, we'll just ask a kind of broad overarching question. Um, what are the general costs of divorce um, and what 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 might people not consider when they're entering um, that divorce process? Okay, so I think first we really need to clarify that divorce and separation are two different things. So cost of divorce is about $900. And really, if you're computer savvy, you can go onto the family law, uh, the family uh, court website and, and organise it yourselves. And it's, it's a pretty easy process. But cost comes with the negotiations around 
your parenting arrangements and your financial separation. So they're, they're two very different things. And it's interestingly, you can be divorced and not have sorted out your parenting and finances. Um, it can add to the costs down the track if you haven't sorted your finances out relatively quickly after a divorce. So my advice is always get to it quickly. But in terms of the cost of separating, and I'll use the term separating if that's okay with you guys, because I think it's a clear distinction. Um, the cost of separating really does depend on who you choose to help you through that process. Um, cost of litigation with lawyers, if you end up with a final hearing, it is not unusual to spend $100,000. Um, actually, one of my right. colleagues, he spent $100,000 and his former wife spent $150,000. And that money comes out of the acquired pool. So that's generally the, um, you know, the, the equity in your property. So it's a very expensive process if you head down the litigation path. So Diane, just on that note, can you talk through some of the differences between, say, a lawyer and an independent mediator when it comes yeah. to divorce? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so lawyers have obligations under law that are different to what a family law mediator has. Um, as a, my, my official title is family dispute resolution practitioner, and we are a legal alternative to using lawyers when couples separate. So we have a specialist qualification, we do a graduate diploma, we do some training in family law, but we're not lawyers, generally speaking. Even if you have a law degree, you're not allowed to give legal advice as a family dispute resolution practitioner. But what we have are the skills, knowledge and expertise to help people negotiate and um, um, come up with their own agreements. Um, and those agreements comply with the Family Law Act that we then can document in, in generally in a consent order form and submit to the court and they then have an agreement that is legally binding but has cost, uh, uh, look, I estimate about 5% of the cost of using a lawyer to reach exactly the same agreement and in a fraction of the time. There we go. It seems like if you're not careful, the only real winners out of a divorce are lawyers uh, who collect a fee off that service. So um, we'll talk more about, you know, you made the important distinction, there's divorce and there's separation. Um, what are the general costs um, or how can you mitigate the costs of separation? You know, it seems like the most daunting aspect of it is unraveling the kind of uh, structure in a, in a family unit that you've set up over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years even. Um, so how uh, can you mitigate that? And uh, what are the sort of main concerns around that that you see cl uh, clients coming to you with? Okay, so um, unraveling your your financial history is, is one of the big issues of separating, obviously. And the longer you're together, the harder it can be for some people. The, the number one mistake people make is assuming they need to lawyer up first and foremost. There's recent research that shows us that um, couples who use mediation first or attempt mediation first have better outcomes than couples who go directly to litigation and lawyers. And it's really simple and understandable because the first thing your lawyer is going to do is send a letter to your ex demanding discovery, you know, demanding all sorts of things, and your ex is going to get their back up and life is going to be you know, painful for up to three years. Um, whereas with FDR mediation, we 
we um, take the place of two lawyers. So we don't represent either party. We are there to bring people together. After we've met with them independently, then we bring them together to have a managed, safe conversation. And we find our research, more than 80% of our clients, reach an agreement with our support on their own. They don't need the litigation. So... The biggest mistake people do is is head straight to lawyers and often they're not getting the information they need because before unravelling your family, you've got to unravel the legal system. You've got to understand the process and knowledge is savings. Knowledge is power. So if you can understand the legal process and what is your, what are your obligations, what are your requirements under the Act, if you can understand that, then you're going to save yourself a lot of pain financially and emotionally. Um, and that's what we do. We provide people lots and lots and lots of information around the family law process and we explain things in a way that makes sense. So we're not lawyers, so we don't use jargon and we're not charging by six-minute increments. And so we are, you know, and if you use a family law specialist, for example, um, their fee structure is somewhere between $700 and $900 an hour. Love it if I could do that, but I can't. Uh, so our, our, our cost, as I said, is about 5% of using a lawyer. Even if a lawyer was, if, you know, if we take people all the way through with property and children's matters, it's generally less than $5,000 for both of them. So it's much, much less expensive. Um, other mistakes people make is to not do research. They listen to their friends and family. And, you know, we all know somebody who's been, got a horror story about a divorce or a separation um, and they listen to those people, but everybody's circumstances are uniquely their own. No two families are exactly the same. I mean, you can't compare, for example, let's say a, a young couple who are separating, um, maybe have a house, been together for five years with a family that is 20 years established, small business, um, you know, totally different circumstances. So sitting with somebody, explaining your particular situation and getting some uh, some information, I've got to be careful not to use the word advice, I'm not allowed to give legal advice, uh, so give the information uh, that is directly relevant to your situation is the key. So, Diane, I saw reports recently that um, there's been a bit of a rise in the rate of uh, grey divorces. So that's divorces of people who are um, a bit further along in their life, maybe in their 50s or 60s. So I was wondering, you know, with what you said earlier about how, you know, the, the longer the marriage, um, the, the, you know, the, the harder it can be to unravel the sort of joint finances. So I wonder if um, for those that are either in retirement or approaching retirement, whether there's there's different things to consider with your finances with regards to going through a divorce. Okay, I think the key thing to consider is there's no replacing the money it costs you to get the divorce or the separation. So obviously for people are, who are still employed, um, there's an opportunity to recoup the cost of the separation or the 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 um the split of the of the pool. But with people who are uh, already um, uh, um, retired or who are approaching retirement, their, their resources are finite. So it's really important for them to really consider where is the best place to go to have those conversations. And look, let, let me say, there are obviously situations where lawyers are necessary. You know, there are very... Um, very difficult matters, complicated matters that are way beyond me. I'm completely first person to put my hand up and say, sorry, you know, beyond my pay grade. 
But then there are people also who are in um, family violence situations. They often need a bit more protection and support and help. So lawyers are useful, but finding, it's very condescending, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but find, but um, with older, older couples, being very mindful of um, how they want to, to separate and where they want to live after separation. So often you find people have lived in the, a, a street for a lot, lot of years, so they love the suburb and they both want to buy back into that suburb. Not possible if you're spending $100,000, $200,000 each on, um, on litigation. So finding a solution that is just and equitable, which is one of the requirements of the Act, um, but doesn't spend a, a huge proportion of your pool um, is, is a really big consideration. For sure. And, you know, you, you talked about some things being above your pay scale and you might not be able to answer this from like a, a clinical perspective, but what is it that gets people so rolled up in a divorce? Their first instinct is to go to a lawyer to get defensive. Is there ego bruise? What's what's the go there? Often it is bruised ego um, because there's one party who has made the decision to end the relationship and the other party is not happy about it. Um, we talk about um, a sort of a continuum where when people separate, one party is done and dusted. So they've been through the emotional hurdles. They've been up and down with their emotions. They've got to the point where they've had the courage to say, you know what, it's over. I don't want to do this anymore. And then they're, they're, they're calm. They're, they're set. They're, they're they have their clear vision. They know where they want to go. They're, they're fine. But then for that other party, that's when their emotional turmoil starts and so that's when you can end up with really nasty uh, litigation because it can be easily fueled by somebody who doesn't have the right intentions. So we're very mindful of helping people get to the same point in the process uh, so as they can have a managed conversation and negotiate their agreements. You know, it's, it's interesting. We're talking about older couples separating. There's the, it's quite distinction, uh, quite a distinction. So uh, older women, it's often because they, in our experience, often because they've just been treading water, waiting for the kids to get old enough, and then they leave. For guys, it's often because they found somebody else. Uh, so it's a very different dynamic. So you can imagine then I'm dealing with um, a very hurt, upset partner because uh, you know 30 40 year relationship and we're dealing with a couple at the moment where they're in their 70s um, um, and they're, they're devastated so it takes a bit of also therapy if you like while we're not therapists and we're not counseling um, sometimes you need to have a bit of a, a, a gentle perspective it definitely sounds like it's you know pretty emotional toll on um, a lot of people going through this process. Um, just wondering, Diane, are there some surprising things that people might not know about the divorce process and, and the costs around it? Some things that people don't know too much about heading into the, the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I often, um, when I'm talking to people, we'll get people call us who've received that first letter from, from the other party's lawyer. And I explained to them there is no legal obligation to respond to that letter. So you don't have to respond to a lawyer's letter. And most people are very surprised to hear that. I mean, if it's a letter from the court, yep, absolutely, you've got to respond to anything from the court. But a letter from your other, the ex's lawyer, no, you don't necessarily have to respond to it. And this is, again, where people get themselves in... Um, into a real bind because they assume they have to. Um, another interesting 
fact is that there's only four guiding principles in property settlements in this country. So, you know, it's pretty, it's not brain surgery. I say to people, you know, it was brain surgery, I couldn't do it. But, you know, what are the assets and liabilities? What are the future needs? What are the contributions? And is it a just and equitable disbursement of the available pool? That is what we all have to use in order to produce an agreement that the court will find acceptable. Um, so it doesn't need to be um, a nasty experience. Oh, look, I've had people hug after they've made their agreement, reached their agreement. Um, it, not often, but, but it does happen. Um, but more often than not, people uh, leave our space relieved that they've resolved it quickly and um, and without having to spend a small fortune. Um, you know, the, the, the whole um, legal process, what people don't understand, uh, another one that people don't understand is that um, you don't get to meet your judge until you're in the in the thick of it for a year or two. Um, your first appearances aren't you standing in front of a judge, you know, explaining your position. No, your first experience is just to find out who your judge will be and find out who your registrar is going to be and find out what you have to then do in relation to further your matter down the process. And to get to that point can often take six months, eight months. So, you know, people expect that um, it'll be a relatively quick process and very often it's not. For sure. Um, and it's probably not the healthiest way to think going into a marriage, but um, is it worthwhile sort of protecting yourself? You, you know, you hear so much, especially on, you know, um, television from America about prenups and, uh, you know, keeping finances separate. But is all that all for naught when all the family finances are sort of tied together anyway and um, and you have kids and, and other assets and whatnot? The short answer is yes, but the long answer is um, most people understand the longer you're together, the, the more your everything you acquire, debt or asset, is, is considered joint. So the longer you're together, the less, the, the less validity a document like a, um, a prenup might have. If if you're going into a, a relationship and you have high net worth, it's probably worthwhile having a chat to a lawyer and just seeing uh, what you can do to protect yourself. Um, I actually gave that advice to a girlfriend of mine recently. Yeah. And, and I know that, you know, the longer they're together, the less validity that document will have. But to protect yourself in the short term, I thought, you know, it, what can it hurt? Um yeah, obviously having children changes everything. The moment you have children, um, and and there's also uh, the concept that uh, you can't sign away your rights. So even if you um, create one of these documents, uh, you you don't It's not necessarily going to create for you the, the the solution that you're hoping for. I had a really interesting situation where a young woman came to me with a, a format for a prenup. Her fiance, they're days away from this marriage. The fiance had gone to his lawyer and create, got this document created. Now, for them to be valid, you've got to have two lawyers check them, and both lawyers have to sign off. She couldn't find a lawyer who would sign it off. So, when a lawyer who knew me sent it to me to see if I could help them negotiate an agreement that would be more useful to them. Um, ultimately, I spoke to her. Then I spoke to him. Um, and he just was not um, going to be, I, I'd be very surprised if that marriage actually went ahead because he did not like the, the, the information that he was given. Because um, it, 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 it 
just was incredibly uh, one-sided. And at the moment they had children, all of it would have changed. And um, and that's why they were marrying. They both wanted children. So, you know, you can't hoard property because you're getting married. It just isn't going to happen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And I guess just like anything that involves, you know, people and relationships that there are challenges, but I guess, you know, for our listeners, it probably is a relief to know that there are things they can do to, to help manage um, the process a bit better and uh, utilize services such as yours. It's good to know that um, that's out there to help people. Uh, Diane Loveday, uh, thanks so much for your time on the savings tip show. I really appreciate your insights. Thank you for having me. I've really appreciated it. And I hope I've been, I've been a help. Absolutely. Um, good to know for us in the future if and when the time comes, which is <laughs> hopefully never. Uh, but yeah, th- thanks again, Diane. <laughs> and that brings us to another episode of the Savings Tip Jar. And I thought personally that was a great episode, um, a bit of a left of field one. But it was great to chat to Diane about the uh, potential costs of divorce and how you can mitigate them, as well as uh, chatting to Harry about what his next Uber Eats order is going to be. So once again, thanks for your support. If you have any thoughts, queries or feelings, don't be afraid to email inquiries at savings.com.au. That's inquiries with an E. Or if you love the episode, don't be afraid to give us a thumbs up, review, subscribe, whatever. Uh, Your support goes a long way. And we'll catch you guys next week. Bye.